Welcome to another week of Awkward Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in last week. We've had a lot of great feedback about the Enneagram Podcast. This week, we have a really good friend of mine, Kevin Nelson. And Kevin and I are going to visit about a lot of different things. One is he is a commercial airline pilot. I thought it'd be cool to kind of talk through that, to ask him some questions that a lot of us don't get to ask pilots. Uh, the other part is gets a little bit deeper, a little bit sadder. So maybe get a box of tissues today um, because we're going to talk a little bit about grief and the journey that Kevin has had over the last uh, couple of years. And we will get into that. And so without further ado, hey, Kevin Nelson, welcome. It's going to get awkward. So this week's guest is a, I always feel like I lead this off, is another dear friend of mine, Kevin Nelson. And Kevin and I have known each other 10 years. 10 years. Let's say 10. Yeah, that's a good round number. So we'll say 10. It's probably a little bit longer than that. But Kevin uh, started going to our church because he knew everybody else at my church. I feel like they were LCU folks. And I've vicariously become an LCU guy because I associate with so many LCU people, even though I was an ACU person, but I associate with with more LCU people than I do ACU. You're and an so, honorary chap. I'm an honorary chap. Actually, Kevin didn't graduate from LCU either. So. I did not. Neither Kevin nor I graduated from LCU. So we're both honorary. We paid some tuition. Yeah. Well, you paid tuition. I just paid some dues in dealing okay. with LCU talk all this time. Um, so Kevin is uh, graciously agreed to be on this podcast we could not get his wife sarah i'm going to mention her name four or five times during the podcast just to let her know that she she made it work on her she didn't want to she really wants to be in here and listen but she's hiding so thanks for doing this man i appreciate it uh tell us a little bit about kevin d wayne nelson (laughs) first of all it is not d wayne so we can jump right out of the gate with that it uh, happens to be Brent. Brent. Yeah. Uh, Brent Dwayne Nelson. Born in? Born in northern Michigan, a little town called Traverse City. And uh, my parents moved up to northern Michigan just before I was born, following a job. And out of three boys, I'm the youngest. Uh, the other two were born in Texas, so I'm the only Yankee. Hmm. Don't you know you're supposed to? <laughs> Don't you know? Yeah, you gotcha. <laughs> you can hear it. <laughs> All right. And, uh, yeah, so they moved up there about 1978 in the the blizzard of 78 and had the privilege of staying in the hospital a couple of extra days while the, the roads were cleared and uh, graduated high school there uh, and then got to Texas as fast as I could. Did y'all leave because of work? Like your dad's work just moved y'all back down here or y'all were done? No, they stayed. Oh, they uh, stayed. Oh, okay, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay, you just yeah. moved down. I moved yeah. to to go to LCU, and Got then it. I'm married to Texan, and they don't leave. So, so even in that, like, 
you had come to Texas many times because yes. your folks, family, and everything. Yeah, I had aunts deep, and uncles and cousins, and uh, my dad had a lot, of, a lot of business here in the oil and gas equipment business. So that sort of lends itself to Texas. Um, so yeah, a lot of reasons to come to Texas, and we. Why LCU? Uh, my parents were both L- LCU alumni, okay. and uh, had a brother going there, and. It just kind of made sense. And went to I, summer camps. I, I, yeah, because, went to summer yeah. camps. Yeah, went to Pine Springs. And uh, my mom and some uh, LCU faculty people were really good friends since back in college. And and uh, we're still there. And so that, that kind of played into it, too. There were just, I guess, just a lot of things sort of made sense to go to LCU. Right. And it wasn't ever like, you will go to LCU. You just it, knew. I just kind of knew yep. that. Yeah, that I was going to go. And, and I had a brother there already and, and had some friends through the camp experiences. And, and So you yeah. ended up going to college there. And mm-hmm. then, like we talked about, Kevin didn't graduate. I didn't. So I, I was flying already. Um, I, I started taking flying lessons in high school and got my private pilot's license. And then. Uh, so what I made started. you, like, what is that? You and I have not talked about that before. Like, what made you say, I kind of want to fly? So, I guess kind of like the LCU thing, there are just a, a bunch of different things that kind of pointed me in that direction. My my granddad had a small airplane, and I flew with him a couple times. Not a whole bunch, as I as I remember. You know, I think back on it now, I'm like, man, why don't I just go flying with, with Papa all the time? Hmm. But but I didn't. I, I did a couple times, and that, of course, you know, raised the interest. And then my older brother, when uh, when he graduated high school, he moved to Daytona, Florida, and went to Embry Riddle, which hmm. is an aviation school. Right. And he got his, I think he got his private license there, and maybe started working on some other license and ratings. And um, so it was it was familiar, you know. It was it was something that I knew that was available because that's, you know, that's not always something. That, that kids think about. Right. You don't just think, well, I think I'll go learn to fly. But but it was something that I knew was a possibility. And and so that opened up that door. So it didn't come out of nowhere just, for just, you. It was like you'd seen it. You I'd seen it, yeah. To yeah, you. and, and I, of course I knew it intrigued me. And then um, and I, I also, we took a trip when I was, uh, I was 11. And we had driven down to Texas and had a big family Christmas gathering. Uh, at my aunt and uncle's place up in Quanta. And then uh, and then we left from there. We drove to DFW, and we flew on Mexicana Airlines down to Puerto Vallarta. Mm-hmm. And we went for like, I think it was, well, in fact, I know it was four days. We left on Christmas Day, and we came back four days later. And it was a trip that my, my mom had won, some kind of incentive trip uh, from a place that she was working. So... We fly down there and we have our beach time, whatever, and we come back and um, we got on the airplane to come back. And at that time, Mexicon boarded like uh, the the open boarding policy, right. so they don't assign a seat. You okay. know, just they they got 150 seats, they let 150 people down. And you go, you figure it out. So we got on, and uh, my my parents were sitting in one part of the plane, and my older brother was in the back, and I'd started to sit down by them, and I thought, well, I'll go sit by Bobby. So I started to head back that way, and then all the seats filled up around him, and I thought, well, I'll go back and sit by Mom and Dad, and I got back up there, and the seats were full. So I'm kind of standing in the aisle, 
and looking around thinking like, you know, where's the seat? And one of the flight attendants came back and just, wait here, just, you know, just stay here a minute. So I stood there for a couple minutes or, I don't know, it seemed like an eternity, but probably a few seconds then. And uh, the captain came walking back and said, would you like to sit up front with me? What the? At, you know, 12-year-old. Oh, by the way, it, this was on my 12th birthday. Oh, man. So great, great birthday present, right? Yeah, the best. So the captain comes back. He says, you want to sit up front <clears throat> with me? Of course I would. So I, I sat on the jump seat from Puerto Vallarta to DFW on a 727 on my 12th birthday. I mean, that sinks it in right there. So, yeah, you, you think, this is the coolest thing in the world. This is right. what I want to do. So, yeah, between that and my, my granddad and my brother and... Other experiences. So yep. you started doing lessons? Or yeah, I started taking lessons at a little uh, small airport, just a grass runway airport. Um, I was 14, 15, I think it was 15. And, uh, so what does that mean? Grass, like grass, like the, the, the runway is grass. It's, it's, <laughs> or like, like you go to DFW and there's a lot of concrete everywhere. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. This yeah, is the, a lot of grass. Yeah. The only concrete was probably the curbs in the parking lot. So that's but, the reason you were able to take off and land at the ranch so easy. You'd, you'd learn <laughs> you'd learn I know nothing of what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So. You start doing that 14, 15, mm-hmm. how long does it take to? Uh, there's, there's some requirements that you have to be 16 to solo and then 17 to take your private check ride. So I did those as soon as I could and had my private pilot's license, which is that just kind of allows you to fly like a small single engine airplane in good weather. Okay. And then you add on later an instrument rating and then a commercial and then a multi-engine and then, you know, there's just all these other licenses and ratings and everything. So I have my private um, I started working on my instrument rating about the time I moved to Lubbock to go to school. Hmm. And then I found a small flight school there and just kept adding licenses and ratings while I was, while I was enrolled doing in school. A, doing, a, doing a little school on yeah. the side, your part-time and, uh, school, full-time right. flight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, uh, started flight instructing, teaching other people to fly yep. and then, uh, little corporate flying jobs and uh charter and other corporate jobs and in the middle of all that you're getting, ma- you're getting uh married yeah so uh to lubbock in uh 1997 to go to college and then by august 21st of 99 we were married <laughs> So you're married, now you're flying. Married, got my first quote-unquote real corporate flying job. So I was flying a little small airplane for a a company in Lubbock and just their their company pilot, if you will, and shuttling the owner around to different stores that he owned around the state. And so when you're doing that, are you, you're gaining more licensures and more time and everything? Yeah, not licensure so much, but, but more hours. So it's more experience, which makes you more competitive for the you know, that next job. And that's kind of a, that's kind of everybody's goal. Is it to like when you're piloting? I mean, you know, when you're kind of on that route and you're like, I kind of want to make this a career. Your, yeah. your goal to the goal is to be on a big. For most people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some people want to stay in that small, you know, corporate type Trouble setting and, and other people want, want the airline route just yeah. for, for various reasons. But. So you jump to major airline in what, what year was that? Uh, 2006. Okay. 
So that was uh, from 90, 98, started flying corporate and charter while still instructing a little bit to kind of transition more to the, the uh, charter and corporate stuff full-time to the straight corporate to the airline job. So that was a transition of, what would that be, eight, yeah. eight years, somewhere around there. And then get hired by a major airline, yep. started flying ever since then. That's right. Stationed out of Lubbock, I guess. Uh, well, stationed out of uh, various places from California to Arizona to a couple of different bases in Texas. And, yeah, so jumping around as I was able to to have the seniority to get to the place that I wanted to be. So did you start with the airline you're with now, or did you start with – Another yeah, company. yeah, same place. Yeah, same there place for ever 16, since. Yeah, okay. 16 years now. So explain, because even now, I mean, as long as you and I have known each other and talked through this, like I still, so y'all lived in Lubbock. Yeah. But you would station, and I'm using air quotes, station out of a different place. You would just have mm-hmm. to jump on a plane and try to get to where you were stationed at. A, is that Yeah, so my fair? base was was in Dallas, so my trips would all start and finish there, even though I lived in Lubbock. Okay. So ba- back then I would typically fly AM trips. So that would mean I would start at 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Well, there's not a flight that would allow me to get there in time for my one hour prior to my first flight check-in on the first day. So I'd have to go the night before. So I'd get on a flight the night before, mm-hmm. fly to Dallas, Go find a hotel room somewhere, then get up the next morning, go fly my trip, two, three, four days, and then I'd usually get back in time the last day of, of whatever that two, three, or four-day trip was to be able to get back to Lubbock on the final day. So Late at night or whatever. Just kind yeah, of sometimes it was pretty late. <clears throat> but the downside was that it, it, it's an extra day away from home. Right. Whereas it, if you live in base, you, you just drive to work. You know, right. On that first day of the trip, if it's an AM trip, I get up. I drive to work in a, you know, let's let's call it a three-day trip. It, it may check in at 6 o'clock in the morning. You fly until 2, 3, 4, 5 o'clock, go to a hotel. Do the same thing day two, do the same thing day three. Day three, you may be done at, you know, 2 o'clock or so, and you've got your your work week is behind you. Right. Two and a half days into, you know, what, what a lot of people are doing for five plus. So. Right. That's, that's really the benefit of it. The downside, of course, is that when you're gone, you're gone. There's no, you know, making a quick yeah. run to take the kids to the doctor or, or, you know, anything you need to do running around town. So the downside is that when you're gone, you're gone. And it's, uh, you know, you can be out of pocket at some pretty inconvenient times. Right. And when I leave, that's when things break. Right. You know, or, that's or right. Or kids get sick. Yeah. Or, that's just inevitably that's how it goes. And that was that had to have been already like in the decision to go into the big airlines, mm-hmm. like where you and Sarah had to sit down and go, "This is what this looks like." And yeah, because the other side of that in the corporate world is that there there there's not that kind of a structure to it. Mm-hmm. For me, there were probably less days gone total, but a lot of times I didn't know when they were. So whenever we, they got a hankering to go, you yeah, were, and and it may be a. You know, a late night. How fast can you be here? We want to go to X, Y, Z. Yeah. And you're at their you back and call. Yeah. Yep. Right. So you're, I mean, you're paid to fly, obviously, but you're, you're, you're also compensated to be On available. On call all the time. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Mm. And that's not that's not abused too much. But right. But still, I mean, you're their pilot. That's so your yeah. That's your gig. Yep. And at least this time, you know, because you're scheduled how far in advance on when you know. Usually through the end of the following month. So. So you get a good month of. So it's, this is what I look like and. It's mid-August now. I know what I know what all of September looks like. Yep. So you can sit ahead of that and mm-hmm. sit with Mama and say, "This is what this month looks like. Yep. What do we got going on?" And because yeah, you and can I, you can switch pretty quick and yeah, easy. there's there's some trading options available. And then as far as the following month, uh, so looking into October, I'll I'll bid for a monthly schedule in the first part of September. So I'll bid for I'll bid for October in the first part of September, meaning. Everybody has a seniority number, and it's it's strictly seniority based. The longer you've been there, the better it is. So there are X number of pilots in a certain base. Each each person has a seniority number. If you want schedule number one, then you bid for number one. If you're the number one pilot, you get it. Hmm. And then on down the list, number two makes two choices, and if number one's already taken, then they get their second choice, and and so it goes. So so I can put some preferences into my monthly bid and say, Oh, I, I like this one because it has the days off that I would want to go to Caleb's football games or right. have something going at church or, you know, whatever that is. And then of course, the more, the more layers to that you add, the less like likely you are to get that schedule. If you go, well, I'm, I need to be off the first through the 26th. Well, that doesn't exist. So then you start thinking about what, what can I sacrifice? You know, what, mm prioritizing things and because there's been a lot of that i mean that's that's the other part of the job is you're you have a really good job but there is the sacrifice of what all those things look like yeah and in the long big scheme of things Mm -hmm. so my my biggest deal was i wanted to because i I was telling kevin before this started like not a lot of people get to have an inside look at a pilot and I just get to consider a really good friend of mine and I get, he's a pilot and uh, he's an airline pilot and I get to pick his brain about that. Cause it's fascinating. There is this romance. I was telling Kevin, like just following the airline pilots from the sixties or whatever, you know, like when it was just the coolest thing that ever. And it still is really cool. Like you see pilots walking through the airport and you're like, it is cool. You know, is that and, a cop? Yeah. Is that, <laughs> is that guy in costume? What yeah. Is that? Um, yeah, I'll I'll talk to Kevin sometimes on the phone when he's when he's somewhere else, and he'll go, I got to put my monkey suit on and <laughs> get on the plane. Anyway, I just wanted people to hear that, and uh, this isn't just a full podcast about pilots, but no. I, I did feel like that was a it's not. an interesting <laughs> an interesting piece to it because a lot of people don't get to hear just a pilot's life because it it is there's a lot of sacrifice, and I know you guys have had those things where because of this job, there's, and it's like a cop, it's like a fireman. Like there's all these things where when you're on duty, it's not the easiest thing to, you know, you're in California and Sarah's like, well, the AC went out. You can't just (laughs) jump on a plane and try to get back. Oh, I can fix that. No, Kevin's going to have to foot the bill for somebody to try to come fix. Or can you make it through like these next two days till I get home? Because I can probably fix it too. So that's another part is, Kevin Nelson is a handyman of handymans. And uh, the other part I was going to 
talk about is if at any point during this podcast, Kevin and I say that's a point <laughs> because since uh, probably day one of us knowing each other, we give each other codger points. And I think right now it's like 15,785,268 to 14,685,716. And I'm not sure whose points are who, but right. that's our codger points that we have for each other. And that's because we're – some people say you're old souls. We're not old souls. We're just codgers. Codgers. Yeah. We're adolescent codgers. Um, anyway, so if you hear us, give each other a point. So what I do want to like really kind of hone in real quick and so we can have some time to kind of unpack it all is um, you're how old now? 43. 43. Yeah, he doesn't know. He's, he's asking me and I don't know. I don't know. There's yeah. a... That's yeah. right. That's 40, 43. Yeah, yeah. That sounds Something. right. Um, Math in public. is So we went from, yeah, we went from the life of an airline pilot into, it is heavy. And, and, and Kevin and I have talked about it already, but um, 43, 44, wherever we're at. 43. Yeah. yeah. And um, both of, uh, both of Kevin's parents have passed and it's been pretty recently. And, what we were talking about, and I'm, I'm not making eye contact with Kevin because we don't, neither one of us can uh, talk while we cry, so we don't want to do that. But there's a place where you're like, there's no way I'm gonna be 43 and not have my parents, but yet Kevin sits here, and we have another really dear friend, and uh, he was even younger and uh, no longer has either parent, and so there is a level of grief and the process of that that. Number one, I admire you tremendously for walking through that because your your wisdom in that. I mean, it's it's not like you've denied anything. You've grieved and you've grieved hard, but there's a measure of wisdom that you've processed all that grief with. Um, there's the hard hard roads that you've walked down, especially since your dad's passing and having to do things there. So, will you talk a little bit about? Um, a little bit about your parents, just what they were like and, and hmm. those things as we kind of muddle through these kind of murky, but kind of beautiful waters too. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I said, and I think I may have even said this at, at each of their memorial services, but um, I felt like I won the parent lottery. Yeah. Like, first of all, my parents were still together. That Yeah, goal number one. Yeah, that doesn't really happen a whole lot anymore. Yeah. So 52 or so And years, could stand they, each other. Been, yeah, well, <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean. Which, that's a, that's a good goal, right? A, big, a lot of the time. That's a check so, plus two. Yeah, they were married 51 or two or three years. I, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't even know how old yeah, I was. Right. So we're not going to hold you to <laughs> right. dates or ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I felt like I won the parent lottery. I mean, growing up, um, I mean, mom just didn't miss anything. Like, I don't know how she did it between, between three boys that were probably going different places all the time, but I don't think she ever missed a, a game or a performance or a, Whatever, probably a 
pick up from school if she was supposed to. I don't, I don't remember, but she'd run us around and and only mildly complain about it at times, <laughs> but but very present. Um, right. And Dad, on the other hand, wasn't around as much, but he worked a lot. He just he worked really hard for Hustling for what we thing. had, mm-hmm. and and he didn't complain about it. He just he did it and. I don't know. I guess he probably missed a few things, but I I seem to remember him being at all the games and all the all the places and all the things. So yeah, big things. He was there. Yeah. So very involved, very uh, loving, very willing and able to provide. Uh, we didn't ever want for anything. Uh, we weren't wealthy or anything like that, but we we always had food. We always had presents under the tree. We always, you know, we we took some vacations here and there and it was just hmm. it was a really good childhood and, and and beyond i mean right so yeah i won the parent lottery and your kids won the grandparent lottery yeah yeah i think so they um they were they were very kind people very loving so Date-wise, on your mom's health, began to decline. Yeah, just in general. Yeah, so she was not. Um, I'll just summarize to say she was not a very, she was not a very healthy person for, okay. for a lot of the time that I remember her. So probably, I, I don't know, ten or so. You know, when, uh, whenever you would sort of start to notice things like mm-hmm. that. Um, she was very overweight for a, a long time that, that I remember and then lost a bunch of weight, I don't know, probably 15 years ago or so and, and had some health improvements, but, but the, the, the weight was just kind of a, a byproduct of some other health issues. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, um, that's a, that's a really uh, big overview of right one mile of, view of, of her right. yeah of her health statement, but um, she had some illness on and off, had some uh, some vision issues and some liver problems and and just a a number of things that weren't just a hundred percent. So so she was not well, but but she wasn't. I don't know if we call her chronically ill or not. Maybe the toward the last couple of years of her life. But, um, in December of 2019, mm-hmm. it was Christmas Eve and she had an accident and fell and broke her hip. Uh, she tripped over a door jam and just fell and broke her hip. And, it was pretty bad. It needed some surgery and, and due to her overall health was going to, it was going to be quite a recovery process, mm-hmm. um, involving a rehab hospital, um, like an inpatient kind of thing, you know, right. where you go and you're, you're there and staying in a, yep. not a hospital, but a, right. a rehab. Almost center. like a nursing home. Type. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is very similar yep. to a nursing home. <clears throat> and so she, 
she had the surgery and was was kind of recovering and then had had moved to a a more long-term rehab facility and got some kind of infection and she went downhill really fast and the way i understand it the the infection that she had was caused by four four different strains of uh um uh, what am i trying to think of i don't know uh, not uh, a virus but a bacteria bacteria infection. and yeah and, and again this is just a was an airline pilot version right. of, of a medical thing so there were there were like four strains of the this bacteria and the antibiotic that they were giving her was only treating like two of the strains and so part of it being untreated she was just continuing to get more and more sick and and she went downhill really fast and for for someone that went into the hospital for a broken hip mm. she seemed to get really sick really fast and and this was mid early February, I guess, by that time. So February twenty, and right before the world shut down, right? right? So yeah. COVID's kind of making a little <clears throat> couple waves in the newspapers yep. and everything. She goes into the hospital and, and becomes septic quickly, mm. and to a point where organs are shutting down, and and it was it was really bad, and. We we got the the advice of uh, some of the medical professionals there that it's it's very likely that her organs will start shutting down soon, and the prognosis of her having uh, having any kind of quality of life from that point going forward was slim to none. And we we had an opportunity to to ask her. Um, her wishes at that time and she made it pretty clear beforehand that um, she didn't want any kind of excessive life-saving measures to be taken mm-hmm. and she had uh, she had an oxygen mask on that was really driving her crazy and, and we had consulted with some of the hospice workers and both my brothers were there and my dad was there and um, she wanted this mask off really bad but her, her oxygen levels just wouldn't support that I mean, if we took the mask off she, she was not going to live long and we finally asked her mom if, if you take the mask off do you know what that means and she said whatever it takes and she she was ready to go. She was ready to not not be fighting it anymore, just to not be mm. miserable. Yeah. And uh, that was in the afternoon of February sixteenth, in twenty twenty, and she passed away the morning of the seventeenth. And y'all got to spend some time with her. We did once they took the mask off, and we did. She took the mask when. When we took the mask off of her, she looked at my dad and she said three times, I love you, Bob. Mm. I love you, Bob. I love you, Bob. And she looked at each of my brothers and me and told us that she loved us. And we were able to 
give her a hug and sing and pray over her and say bye and say some things that we wanted to say. And uh, it was, you know, in the moment, you just think this, this is the worst thing ever. Mm. Can't believe that, you know, here we were two days ago with the mindset of, of curative type care. Like the end game is you getting out of this hospital right. and going going back home, you know, to where yeah. where your stuff is, to where your life is, to where your husband is. And now we're making decisions about taking masks off and saying, saying bye. Mm. And so what a whirlwind, uh, you know, 24, 36 hours that was. And now, you know, the more I look back on it, especially after dad passed, to look back on that and go, that was a blessing. Look, look we had a chance to say bye. Mm-hmm. And we had a chance to, to... Sit and be present. Yeah, and to tell her, you know, I love you, Mom. I'm thankful for you. Do you remember what you guys sang? Oh boy, uh, no, but or, I, I, or, I know like someone what it, does. But what is that like? What did that look like? Well, it, you know, it looked like some some hospital workers kind of looking around, going, "This is different. Like these people are different. This." Singing and praying over someone is different. I do remember that part of it. Um, like, was your mom able to join in on that? No, or just, no, 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 no. She was, was too. Yeah, her her oxygen saturation went to a, a dangerously low level, like almost instantly. You know, as soon as wow. the as soon as the yeah. mask came off. Okay. Because the mask, the whole <clears throat> reason that it was on, it was so uncomfortable for her, was because. It had to be, and it, it had to be at yeah. such a high level mm. and not a high concentration of oxygen yeah. Got it. that it was just, it, it was really uncomfortable. Was she in a state where she understood that, or what, did they just kind of sedate her a little bit too to not? No, she was. She, yeah. she was in a state where she definitely understood it. And, yeah. and, and for her, like what amazing place to leave this earth. Yeah. Surrounded that, by the people that love you and that you love. And have an environment of prayer, praise and yeah. Love, you know, like I said, you know, at the time it was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I, we humans yeah. in general have yeah. a tendency to at times go, I can't believe this is happening to me. Mm. And this is the worst thing. Insert for me. And then you you step back from it or you know maybe after the fact the the hindsight of that you look back and go this was happening to me. This this was happening to my mom. This was happening mm. also to my dad, you know, his this bride of 50 plus years yeah. was 
not going to be here much longer. Part of his flesh is going and away. My brothers and my, you know, my aunts are losing a sister. And a couple of them were there. So you think that I can't believe this is happening to me. And, and then now, you know, like I started to mention earlier, you look back at it and go, what a blessing. Like how many people get to do that in the final moments? How many people get to be there and be present and maybe say the things you've been waiting to say a long time or, right. or give one last hug or, you know, read your favorite scripture over, over your loved one. So sometimes it still feels like this is happening to me, but most of the time it's, man, what a privilege have been able to say I love you one last time and to hear that you know one last yeah. time from her and yeah. so were you guys able to be in the room to the the very end um yes we we were able to um so she she kind of was sedated or I don't recall exactly what happened but they gave her you know whatever medicine they do to just make you comfortable and so that you're not in any kind of pain but they also moved her to after that point she was still in a hospital uh, room like a I don't think it was an ICU but it was a hospital room of some sort and so they they transferred her at some point late that evening or maybe midnight or so to a hospice wing. Mm. And there there were like no restrictions whatsoever in there. And you get in hospice, they're like, I guess they're going, Hey, you're you're about to lose a loved one. Right. You guys do what you want. Yeah. Have a parade if you want. And so my, I had an aunt and uncle who were there. Um, Jared and Bobby, my brothers, were there and and I was there and then at one point um one of the nurses came in and told us hey she could she could be in this sedated state um for minutes or hours or days we don't know and it was about uh I remember it was about four o'clock in the morning and we'd been there since Oh, nine or ten o'clock the previous day. So it's been a long haul. A long day. And when the when the nurse told us, you know, she she could be like this for minutes or days or I thought, Well, I've said my goodbyes and she's not waking up. I mean, this is a yeah. a reality at this point. Like she right. is going to pass away, we just don't know when. I thought, man, I've I've said my goodbyes, and she did. So I think I'm I'm gonna go home and get some sleep. And I I had my contacts in for what, however long it had been by then, twenty four hours or whatever. And they were just driving me crazy, and they were so dried out. And I I drove I actually drove her car 
there's vehicles have been shuffled around all over the place and our brothers from out of town who had flown in so i just went i need some keys and i'm going home and i remember taking my contacts out and i didn't have glasses with me or anything but i took my contacts out and i drove home and i just remember walking in the door thinking i have no idea how i made it home without running someone over or running into something like this was a really stupid decision but i just knew that i wanted to get home sarah was at home with the kids and yeah. i mean of course, you know it's four thirty, five o'clock in the morning like where else are they gonna be and uh i crawled into bed and i'd been asleep for like 15 minutes 30 minutes something like that and one of my brothers tried calling a couple times. I had my phone off. <laughs> and then then they called Sarah and said that she just passed. Mm. So, yes, we could be there in the room. And, and they yeah. chose to stay. And, <clears throat> uh, but they, they said it was very peaceful. And, and I, have, I have zero guilt whatsoever right. about no, no, not no. being there. I was, I was like. We said bye. Yeah. I'm confident where and she's going. Like, right. And she was there anyway, right? We, she was. I mean, we had the, you know, the very uncommon privilege of being able to consciously say, like, yeah, you're dying. I know it. I love you with all my heart. And goodbye. I mean, our peace was made. What a blessing. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't, didn't have any guilt at all about that. I, no. I had to find some other context to put in. Right. <laughs> Turn around and go back to the hospital. But so you didn't kill anybody on the way. Yeah. And I think I might have worn my glasses, but that's uh that's intense. Because yeah. it is like that's that's not a story everybody gets to tell at all. Yeah. At all. Um, which leads to the other part of your story. Because mm-hmm. it's not that way. Yeah. So that was in um February of 20. And now my dad, who's been married to this woman for over 50 years, is living by himself and cooking and cleaning and doing laundry and, and oh yeah, keeping up a little 20-acre mini ranch and... Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to be a good grandpa and showing up to grandkid events and traveling to see the ones that don't live here and and did a pretty good job of it. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one of the, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the notebooks that I found of my dad's, he, my dad was a was quite the note taker I don't know how much they may have ever helped him because there were so many I just I, he, he may have just written down and went well that one's pulled yeah, yeah. throw it in the corner and you know, we'll fill up another one but I found it in one of the notebooks um, his Christmas list and he was buying Christmas presents for all the grandkids and for me and Sarah and 
Jared and Bethany and Bobby and Amy. Mm. And he had order numbers written down and credit card receipts. And it was just one little thing that made me think, man, he's really trying hard to to do all the things that they did. Yeah. Because your mom usually handled all she that handled stuff. She handled all of that. Yeah. So it was uh, because a very lonely time for my dad. He was he was in a house by himself and you know, we tried to include him and invite him to dinner and right. go by and at one point I mentioned we need to just build him a little tiny house over here or you know, what do you think about staying with us? And of course he'd never have it. Right. Um but it, it was a lonely, lonely season for him. And, and that was pretty obvious. And he wouldn't talk about it a whole lot. But I mean, a couple times he did. We, we had some conversations in the little over a year after my mom died that, that were closer, more intimate, more real, I think, than we probably ever had. Mm. and he there were, I found a note on his on his computer that really drove home how how very lonely he was in that time and it it said something along the lines of i i used to i used to live in a big happy house full of joy and family or a happy home full of joy and family something to that effect and now it's just this big empty house And that, that hit pretty hard. We had, um, in, I believe around, Fe- yeah, February of 21, we had Stormageddon mm-hmm. with the, the big long power outage. and We had, I think it was four and a half days here at our house that we didn't have power. And he had, at worst, like rolling power the whole time. And that was for about two days or so. So we went out and stayed with him after, I think it was about after the first day of no power. It was, it was getting pretty cold here because we had electric heat and it was like, you know, five degrees outside. So it was starting to get pretty cold here. So we went out and stayed with him. And we, we took a refrigerator full of leftovers and some board games and some cards and for 
I guess it was two or three or four days. We just stayed there, and we stayed up late playing games at the kitchen table, and we we laughed and ate and took care of the animals and just had some really, uh, really good close time with Dad for, for several days. And we left and thought, well, that was great. I'm really glad that we had a place to go, and it was, you know, sure nice to spend some time with Dad. And I, I think about that time now and think, man, I'm so thankful for that storm. I'm so thankful we didn't have power for four days because we wouldn't have taken the time to do that. We probably didn't have the time right. to do that. Because he didn't live... He, didn't live far anyway. I mean, it wasn't like he's in a whole other town either. I mean, right. He's close. So we wouldn't have gone and stayed multiple <clears throat> days. It, right. You know, we may have had dinner or, you know, he may, Pop have, come, in and out. may right. have come to a basketball game or yeah. something for the kids. But have an uninterrupted intentional time like that. Is... Yeah. And the the spring came and the summer came and... One afternoon, I was getting ready to leave for work. I had a I had a two day trip um, that was starting in the afternoon, and I needed to leave the house around two or three o'clock in the afternoon to get to the airport in time to fly. And my my typical routine when I have an afternoon trip like that is do any kind of errands that I need to or running around town in the morning and then come home and take care of any yard work that I can or need to and then shower and pack a bag and head to the airport. So I was on the mower and I had my headphones in. When I, when I got off the mower, I, I checked my phone and saw that I had, I had several missed calls from a couple of my dad's friends. And one was from a, a mutual friend of my mom and dad's named Susan. And I thought, well, I had a missed call and a voicemail from Susan. And a couple of missed calls from Mike. And the, the voicemails were both very similar. Hey, Kevin, this is Susan. Hey, Kevin, this is Mike. Been trying to get a hold of your dad. Uh, since yesterday afternoon or whenever, and it's just going straight to voicemail. Just wondering if you you've heard from him. So I called Susan right back, and I called Mike back. So no, I haven't heard from him, but I'll go check. I, uh, you know, if he's if it's just going to voicemail, I can't imagine he you know probably left his phone inside or or dropped it in a water trough or something. Right. Let it run out of battery somewhere. Yep. And I'd talked to him the day before, in the, the morning the day before. And as I started to drive, I, I called my cousin, Lance, who, who was a little closer distance-wise to, to my dad's place. And I said, hey, Lance, have you... 
you heard from dad in the last day or two? And he said, no, what's wrong? And I said, well, I've just been trying to get a hold of him and a couple of other people have, and it's just going straight to voicemail. I just didn't know if you'd maybe talk to him. And he said, no, but I'm on my way. And I said, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm headed out there now. And he said, well, I'm closer than you are. I'll see you there. It's kind of bizarre, but whatever. It's if if he's got his mind made up, he's going to do it. Type. So, okay. Well, I'll see you there. And I called Sarah on the way and just said, "I have a bad feeling. I don't. I don't have a good feeling about this." And we talked for a little bit. And I said, okay, well, I'll give you a call when I get there. <clears throat> and then I talked to you. Yeah. After that, on the way out there. And and it's about a 30-minute drive from our house out to Dad's place. And I, I just had this awful feeling that something bad had happened. And I got about five minutes away. And my cousin called and said, are you almost here? And I said, yeah, I'm right around the corner. And he said, the deputy sheriff needs to talk to you. Mm-hmm. It didn't register, you know, what he, was, what he was trying to tell me without telling me. And I said, okay, put him on. And he said, well, just get here as fast as you can. And I pulled through the front gate. And there were two sheriff's vehicles and and two ambulances for some reason. And I got out of the car and walked up and the uh, sheriff was approaching me and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it, yeah. it, it computes, but there's also like a, like a shock factor of it yeah. or a, yeah. Distortion of hearing it, yeah. Yeah, like you don't really want to believe what you sort of know your brain's trying to process. And he said, he said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm going, okay, can you tell me what's going on? And he said, are you, are you Mr. Nelson? And I said, I'm Kevin Nelson. My dad lives here. And he said, there's been some sort of accident and he's passed away. And I think I said, what I've always thought to be one of the dumbest things people say after they're they're told that someone has passed away. I think I said something along the lines of, No, I just talked to him yesterday. And I do still think that's one of the dumbest things that people say. But I said it. Yeah. Because it does not register. It doesn't compute. And when it finally did a little bit, my first thought was, we're not going to get to take our fishing trip. Mm-hmm. 
which just tells you how crazy like grief is uh-huh. and shock uh-huh. and it makes your makes your thought process just really out of whack and i'd been thinking about taking this fishing trip and i considered going and and then covid had kind of shut everything down especially the canadian border which was the trip was in southern canada but yeah it was it was really bizarre that that was one of my first thoughts is that we're we're not going to get to take our fishing trip And then we had his, we were talking about this a while back. So that was June uh, 16th or 17th, around there. Which happens to be right around Father's Day. And if I remember correctly, we had his memorial service just before or just after Father's Day. And that, that was pretty rough. So because people have already been pulled into this story, what, what was the eventual cause of death for your, for your dad? It was a, a hardening of the arteries, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. I think they called it. Someone, uh, do, someone can correct me on that if you want, but sure. I won't remember how to say it after you correct Some me, kind so. of heart event. Yeah. Basically out doing what he loved. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah the sheriff, was. the sheriff found him laying outside. Um, and, if this doesn't describe my dad to a T, I don't know what does. But his his work gloves were laying on the ground just very close to where where he passed away. And he loved to be outside and to work outside and to you know, to build and create and mm-hmm. piddle. And piddle. Point Jonathan. Yes. Thank you. But I remember just thinking, how perfect, you know? Yeah. His, his work gloves laying on the ground right next to him. And he was in the middle of a project. Like, yeah. he was putting in a new H brace at a cross fence. And there was an angle grinder laying on the ground. And the, the Kubota was hooked up to the welding trailer. Like, he was just just getting ready to go get the cutting torch and you know he was gonna cut it and then run that angle grinder and mm-hmm. probably weld up a new brace and i just remember when you told me kind of how it all and then you, you know you finally got the because there was a moment you know a little bit where it looked like maybe the bull had done something mm-hmm. or whatever but when it finally came back i was like so bob was just out there piddling yeah and yeah and that was the thing he had to he had bought a new bull for the, we had a little, very small cow operation, <laughs> but it was fun. He yeah. enjoyed it, and you know he thought he'd have them all to where they would eat out of his hand, and 
the best way. As soon as he, he'd have them all trained with a cowbell, as soon as or a little, mm-hmm. little bell of some sort, and they come running like, I mean running, like uh, Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. And so he really enjoyed it, and uh, he had bought this new bull, and the bull had come after him a couple times. And we just thought, man, Dad, you don't need to be messing with that. Right. Why don't you get rid of that thing? And and so, yeah, it, initially, it really looked like maybe that bull had gotten after him or roughed him up or something. But it turned out that it uh, they did an autopsy and figured out that it was the cardio issue. And he was just piddling. Yeah, and it was really bizarre because he had... He had a physical every year. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd go to the cardiologist for the full workup and um Well, like I said earlier, like I feel like you have you have managed grief really well. And and I know, you know, contentment is a big part of your identity and who you are, but I feel like grief has been managed really well. What, what, uh, I mean, here's the deal. I'm just letting you know right now, like when my parents pass or a significant loss, I'm coming to Kevin for (laughs) grief counseling because I feel like you, you have even just through this, like your own experience. But I even feel like before that, like there was a way that you knew how to navigate that a little bit. I'm not saying everybody's got answers on what grief looks like, but I feel like you've navigated that with such wisdom and grace. Like it's, it's profound to those around you. I'll just edify you that way for me. Well, thank you. You've navigated that really well and not because you hadn't been in some hard places and it's not because you've dismissed it and said, I'm good. I'm good. I'm real good. And I'm, you know, like it's like, I've been with you in the really hard places and seeing that in you and stuff. But even in that, like you've navigated that grief arena really well. And so I feel like, you know, as we kind of close this, what, what is your advice to somebody? What do you, how do you feel like you've navigated that? Well, even if you don't feel like you have, but there's, you've got to have five tools or, you know, three Mm -hmm. tools or something like that. Could you pull that out or <laughs> is that a lot to ask right now? You know, when uh, when Brian Randolph mm-hmm. passed away, Destin wrote something that was was really impactful and meaningful and helpful in that. And it just... She talked about the way that grief looks to some people is entirely different than it does to others. And sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that. And and one of the lines in there was that um, death made Jesus mad too. And that, that's really comforting to know that um, and 
I don't have to do well with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I there's not an expectation of of how I deal with it or how I process or how I move on. Just to know that there's there's not a point where you're through with it. That's the, that's the thing, you know. There's a saying that time heals all wounds, right? I hate that. Because I don't think it does. I, I don't think as long as I'm alive, I'll get to a point where I'm like, oh, yeah, mom and dad. Hmm. Sure was nice knowing them. It'll still hurt. I'll still miss them. You know, when I'm more advanced in in years than I am now, I think I'll still look back and go, huh, I won the parent lottery. Boy, do I miss them. So to... To know that there's not a right way to do it, I think it's been really comforting. Mm. And to know that it doesn't, to know that you're not really finished with it at any point is is a little bit daunting too, you know? Because we're, we like to have a finish line, right? We like Mm -hmm. to know when we're at the halfway point. We like to know that, you know, we can put a bow on this and move on to something else. But at the same time, it's it, it seems like that makes the process um, maybe that much more real and that much more human and that much more closely connected to the people that I love and I miss. If, if I knew it was going to end tomorrow or I wouldn't you know I wouldn't miss them anymore I might even feel like huh, I guess that I guess that wasn't that important to me or mm-hmm. that they weren't that meaningful so there's I don't know I've I've thought about that a lot too and I, I kind of feel like I'm rambling on about it a little bit but no it's good it's a it's a process that you know, we've all heard that Everybody handles grief differently. And I think to that end, I've handled grief differently from from my mom to my dad. Right. Like Absolutely. I've seen that as well. It's which is bizarre because they're you know, they're both my parents. I love both of them mm-hmm. deeply. But yeah, grief is a funny, funny thing. It's It's really hard to understand. I don't, I don't know that we can. Well, I think what I hear a lot is even in you not having one idea of how to navigate the grief, you did, but you also, from my perspective, did that in such a way that it didn't 
crush anything about you. I mean, mostly because you have a hope and understanding of who your parents were and where they are. Right. Yeah. And all those things, which is, you know, that's a very beneficial thing, but I think you have a good grasp on who you are, who they were. And that helps, that helps that grief process. Knowing that it's not ever something you're done with, but it sure helps the initial, I I don't know, like the shock value of it. Like, man, I'm 43. I've got a lot of go. Yeah. This is, this is what Destin wrote that I mentioned earlier. This is good. It's called normal grief. Sometimes we like to think grief can be tamed like a fluffy bunny we remove from her cage to stroke and stretch at our convenience. But no. Grief is not tame or confined to our time constraints. Neither is it bad or shameful or sinful. Grief is a teacher, and we can welcome her with kindness and compassion, or we can resist. The lessons and the gifts in the secret scary places, yes, even there, are offered nonetheless by a God who cries with us. It is normal for grief to be intuitive, outward emotional expressions flowing freely and reaching for community. Death made Jesus cry with his friends too. It is normal for grief to be instrumental, taking a cognitive, problem-solving, mastering emotions and environment kind of approach. Death made Jesus take action too. It is normal for grief to be in the gray space, somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. So may Jesus give us the generosity of heart to say, I do not expect your grief to look like mine. It is normal for joy and laughter to emerge in the midst of grief. And it is normal to be annoyed by this. It's normal to desire physical touch, and it is normal to withdraw in solitude. It is normal for the body to want to writhe or dance, to make primal, guttural sounds, and it's normal to find it difficult to utter a whisper or to put one foot in front of the other for a bit. Grief is not always polite. Sometimes it makes inappropriate jokes at inopportune times. Sometimes it angrily flips tables at the injustice that death has entered our temple. Death made Jesus mad too. It is normal for the mind to make up possible stories when the information is limited and these stories may be dark or irrational but certainly full of fear, until we rest our reeling heads in the lap of the one who wrote the ending. It is normal for the could-have, should-have, regret whispers to haunt our peace, to roadblock grace, and the acceptance of our human limitations. Thankfully, grace knows detours even grief cannot fathom. It is normal for this loss to open the pressurized floodgates of suffered emotion and unresolved sadness of tragedy's past. It is normal to need 
help navigating those deep and confusing waters. It is normal to remember not only the generous and funny moments, but also the frustrating, frustrating and maddening ones too. This means that you loved a whole human being, both sinner and saint, not some whitewashed idol illusion. Jesus loves real and messy humans too. It is normal for grief to write these not-quite-poetry ramblings that go on and on, so I'll end with this. Dad is free. We are together in this, singing and praying, Lord have mercy. And both of these are beautiful things. So it's been a while since I've read that. <laughs> it's the perfect way to end it, man. Yeah. Thank you for going there today. Thanks. I didn't exactly yeah. know that we were going to go there, but <laughs> uh, it's that. Uh, yeah. He, he said, "Hey, I want you to be on my podcast," and I'm like, "Well, I don't have anything to say." <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not a podcast guy. I thank you. I love you. I love you too. Deeply. Um, I do have to pick your brain a little bit. Okay. Um, the thing I've started at the end of my podcast because I feel like I, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> it's not the speed round like you're probably used to. Oh man, it's a diff- It's a little different. Oh, I feel boy. like I've. I, I really like this. What is your favorite word? Oh. What word do you love? Content. What word do you hate? I I don't mean to copy the the Warren report, but should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love you, Kevin Nelson. I love you too. Thanks for doing this, yeah. brother. Thanks, man. You're a blessing to a lot of people, and I know this will be a blessing to a lot of people too. So thanks. Thank you.